to the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 4. Numbers chapter 4. Book of Numbers. I'm absolutely loving the cool weather. Yeah, I actually, for the first time, turned off my air conditioner. Yeah, and it was cool enough in the house to sleep, and it's awesome, awesome. By the way, I, I saw a couple of you shaking your heads like, I don't know if I, I can do that yet. Yeah, I did it. It was great last night. I could hear the money I was saving. I mean, I could, it's crazy. Yeah. By the way, this has nothing to do with the Bible, but last year I blew insulation up into my attic and my electric bill dropped in half. I paid for the insulation in three months with what I saved. So if you have heat problems, that's free this morning, no extra charge. Just blow some insulation, you're good to go. Like that. All right, Numbers chapter 4. We're actually going to cover Numbers chapter 2, chapter 3, and chapter 4. And um, those, those three chapters actually go together. Um, chapter 3 and chapter 4 are about priests, and chapter 2 is about the tribes of, of Israel. So, so that's, that's what those things are about. Um, so the first verse I would like us to look at is Numbers chapter 4, verse 4. And this is what it says. This is the service of the sons of Koath in the tent of meeting. See, when you're not really sure how to say one of those words, you do it with emphasis, Kohath, and then it just sounds right. The tent of meeting, the most holy thing. So here is the sons of Kohath. They are supposed to take care of the most holy things, okay? But only after these things have been covered by the high priest. So there's a priestly order. There's high priest, and then there's these guys, the Kohath people, the Kohathites, which is what they'll be called a little bit later. However, all this stuff has to be covered before they can even touch it. Now, to kind of bring you up to speed on why they're covering stuff is we're talking about a tabernacle that has to be moved and a big group of people that have to be moved. And I'm going to show you about this in a minute. So when that tabernacle is, is torn down, certain priests had certain items that they were supposed to carry, and the Kohaths were supposed to do the stuff that was in the most holy place, all right? So they, they were taking care of that, but only after it was covered. So if you skip on down to Numbers chapter, uh, verse 15 of chapter 4, it says, it says this, and when Aaron and his sons, and that's the high priest, have finished covering the sanctuary and all the furnishings of the sanctuary as the camp sets out, after that the sons of Kohath shall come to carry these, but they must not touch the holy things lest they die. These are the things of the tent of meeting that the sons of Kohath are to carry and list them. So if they touch the actual gold of the stuff that's inside the, you know, the, the holy of holies and the holy place. If they touched it, they would die. But if they touched it with this covering, they could carry it to the next spot. They could set it up. And then the high priest came in after that and took the coverings off 
and everything was okay. They were not supposed to touch it. It was very dangerous if they were to touch it. Look at verse 19. It's not only touch that is important here. Um, But deal thus with them, thus they may live and not die when they come near to the most holy things. Aaron and his son shall go in and appoint them each to his task, but to his burden. But they shall not go in to look on the holy things, even for a moment, lest they die. So they couldn't, they couldn't even look at the holy things. They could only look at the coverings. So to touch would be what I call dangerous. To look at these things would be what I call dangerous. Now, now why in the world is, is it dangerous to touch these items that are in the temple? Why, why is it a danger? And it has to do with what's called holiness, holiness. We all know that God is holy. We just sang about it two songs ago. Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holiness um, is not just, there's not just a simple de- definition for holiness. Holiness is um, uniqueness. It's the uniqueness of God. He's unique in the universe. Holiness is a righteous and a purity word. There's nothing else more pure than God in the universe. There's, his presence is holy. He is holy. Um, and so there's purity, there's righteousness, there's uniqueness, and, and all in, encompassed in this word holy. The best way that I can describe it Oh, by the way, I forgot to say this. And holiness actually gives you life. So in scripture, holiness is a life word. Holiness is a purity word. And and holiness is is just something that's very, very clean. I guess that's what purity actually means. So to describe this, I think if you were to kind of visualize the sun that's outside and earth, currently we live in a very safe distance from the sun. So if we used the sun as a metaphor for holiness, right, um, there is a safe distance where humans can live in proximity to God. The closer you get to him, the closer you get to his holiness, the more dangerous it becomes. So just like if we were to send a spaceship and instead of colonizing Mars, we decided to colonize the sun. The way logic works today, somebody could actually try to do that. Oh, come on, you know that's true and funny at the same time, all right? So we send a ship to to space and we're going toward the sun. There is a moment in which that ship will stop working and there's a moment where the gravitational pull of the sun will pull it into the sun and it'll be totally disintegrated and gone. That is the same picture of your relationship with God. If you alone, as a human, started to approach God in your sinfulness, there is a certain line there that you will be disintegrated and taken care of because his holiness cannot allow your unholiness to be in the same location. Is everybody tracking with me? So holiness will actually take you out. It will actually take you out. Um, In in scripture, there's, there's this mountain in Exodus. And, and it's, a, it's a mountain, it's Mount Sinai. And, and the mountain happens, right? And there's fire and, and there's all kinds of stuff happening. And God tells Mo- Moses that the people, the children of Israel, cannot touch the mountain or they will die. 
In other words, when he comes down on the mountain, if they were to touch it, they would be too close to his holiness. He also tells the priest to uh, make themselves pure, to consecrate themselves and make themselves pure, right? And so he, he tells them to do that. And then he says, Moses, you can come up the mountain. And he says that Aaron, his brother, can come up the mountain, but no one else. Um, Exodus chapter 19, verse 12 says, And you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up to the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. Now, if you were to go to Mount Sinai today, could you touch it? Yes. Does this verse pertain to you today? No. Why can you touch Mount Sinai today, but you couldn't back at this moment in history? The only reason is because the presence of a holy God was on that mountain. And when his presence is there, you cannot touch it. We have scripture. Like if if you're reading through your Bible, you know that there's other people that touch the stuff in the most holy place, in the holy of holies, in the tabernacle, and in the temple. You know that there's people that did it. You know that there's people that touched it that shouldn't have touched it and they lived. Why were they able to live at that particular moment in time whereas these people back here couldn't live? Well, here's the reason. Because God had left the temple. He had left the tabernacle. And so the stuff in there was no longer holy. His presence was no longer there. However, when his presence returned, let's say David bringing the ark back to the city, is everybody tracking? God's presence was in that ark and they were delivering that thing on a cart and that was incorrect. And so this guy touches it because it's about to fall and he dies. Death and touching the things in the temple equal God's presence was there in that moment. If they touch it and nobody dies, that means God's presence has left and there's an appropriate distance between holiness and that particular person. Is everybody tracking? Okay, so, danger. So here we go. So holiness draw you in. It's dangerous. Great. So in chapters 2, 3, and 4, um, this passage of Scripture actually revolves around something, and we've mentioned it, called the tabernacle. Can you all see that? Well, don't, don't do the lights. We're good. Yeah. So you can see it, the tabernacle, right there. Okay? Now that's the tabernacle. This is the most holy place, all right? And this is the holy place. Most holy place, holy place. Only one guy could come in here once a year. All the high priests could come in here all the time, and the rest of the priests couldn't go in, just the high priests. Right here was a lavalier, and right here was an altar where they did um, sacrifices, right? They did sacrifices, and around this was actually an outer court, okay? An outer court. Now I'll make this a little bigger. Okay, right here was a door. There was only one way in and one way out. 
In other words, you couldn't come in from this side and go into the, into the tabernacle this way. You couldn't go in this way into this particular place. There was only one way in. There was a sacrifice. There was a lavalier for the high priest to wash their hands and then for them to atone for your sins every day in this area. Once a year, the high, high priest, not that he lived in Colorado, but the high, high priest, he went into this area, okay? He went into this area and he made atonement for people's sins. This is the way that God had it set up. And so in, in this structure, this is what happened. Now, to kind of further kind of what we're trying to get to here, I'm going to ask my daughter to come up and she's going to read a couple of uh, verses. So this is at the center of the camp of the children of Israel, all right? So I would like you to read, um, before you do that, I need to make some additional markings here. This would be West. This would be East. And this would be North, right? It'd be North. Directionally challenged. By the way, one of the reasons I'm directionally challenged is anybody know this way is 801 what? North. Oh, in my car, it's 801 West. Just letting you know that. And you wonder why people like me are so confused all the time. North goes west. It's crazy. I know you are thinking about that, but next time you drive down this road, you're going to see that I'm right. All right. And over here is south. Okay, we're going to pretend that this is south. Is that becoming more of a south? Yeah. Is it backwards? Do what? Okay, use your imagination. <laughs> or you will be up here doing this. Okay, so, just kidding. Just, just absolutely actually kidding about that because I care about people. Okay, so, um, so read, read the first uh, one that you have. Uh, Numbers 3.23. The clans of the Gershonites were to camp behind the tabernacle on the west. Now, the Gershonites are priests, so I'll give them a different color, um, not because they're a different nationality, but just because they're a different color. Okay, so we'll put the Gershonites here. They were to camp right here on this side of the temple, okay? Next. The clans of the sons of Kohath were to camp on the south side of the tabernacle. Okay, so Kohath, they camp here. So this is the Gershites. Don't know what that looks like. And this is the who? Kohath. Okay? Well, yeah. It looks like hieroglyphics. Okay, keep going. The Mahites were to camp on the north side of the tabernacle. Okay, so this is the Mahites, and they camp on this side. Okay? 
Numbers 325, and the guard duty of the sons of Gershon in the tent of meeting involved. Okay, so they have guard duty. So we can skip the rest. They have guard duty. So what happens is nobody can cross their lines. So not only is there a barrier here to the holy place, but there's also a barrier of the priestly camp. So nobody can get here except for one way. They make sure that you don't take a shortcut through here or whatever. They make sure that you don't go through these linens to get inside. They guard this particular area. So go all the way down to the last one that talks about Aaron and um, Moses. Those who were to camp before the tabernacle on the east, before the tent of meeting toward the sunrise, were Moses and Aaron and his sons, guarding the sanctuary itself to protect the people of Israel. And any outsider who came near was to be put to death. All right. So, check this out. The priest are protecting the world from the holiness of God. The walls in this outer court are protecting the world from the holiness of God. This area right here is protecting the people from the holiness of God. There is one, two, three degrees of separation between the holiness of God and everyone else. In Exodus, it says that God cannot live among his people or he would consume them. And Moses begs and pleads for God to go with him for the rest of the time, right? And this is the plan that God came up with so that he could actually live with his people. Now, give me a second to do something. So everybody has this, right? Get rid of it. By the way, I'm learning as I'm doing this. So you have to have degrees of separation or you're taken out by death. You cannot live in God's holiness. You have to be protected from it. What I'm going to do is I'm going to draw a smaller version of the temple. Okay, can everybody see that? This is the outer part. This is the door. Okay. And then this is the priestly area. Okay. All right. Now, we're going to talk about the tribes. I want you to... Um, start with Judah, and we can go to the next screen. Those who camp on the east side towards the sunrise shall be of the standard of the camp of Judah by their companies. So it's Judah, J-U-D-A. That's a W. Judah. We'll just, just pretend that's a U. All right, Judah and their companies. <laughs> Judah. Thank you, honey. Yeah, Judah. I can't spell forwards or backwards. 
Okay, go ahead. Next. Those who camp next to him shall be the tribe of Issachar. Okay, so Issachar is next. So what does it say? Next. So you have to go in a direction here, right? And if it's next, it's either here, here, or here. And it's really here. What's the next scripture? Then the tribe of Zebulun. Okay, so Zebulun. Okay, all right, so go to the next one. So they're on the east. On the south side shall be the standard of the camp of Reuben by their companies. Okay, so Reuben. What? 801 north goes west. Okay, thank you. All right. And those to camp next to him shall be the tribe of Simeon. Sidian. Simeon. Simeon. Not Sidian, Simeon. That is also a five, but also commonly known as a S. Or a Z. So S. Next. Then the tribe of Gad. Gad. All right, next. On the west side shall be the standard of the camp of Ephraim by their companies. Okay, so Ephraim... I did put this a little too high. Keep going. And next to him shall be the tribe of Manasseh. Right. Keep going. Then the tribe of Benjamin. So Ephraim, Manasseh, and the tribe of Benjamin. Just trust me, that's a B in the right way. Okay? North. On the north side shall be the standard of the camp of Dan by their companies. And those to camp next to him shall be the tribe of Asher, then the tribe of Naphtali. Okay. Asher and Naphtali. <laughs> I love this unintended abbreviation here for those because that is Dan. Right? All right. So I want you to tell me how many people are involved in this whole clan of Judah according to Scripture. And give me the verse. So, Numbers 2.9 says that the tribes of Judah numbered 186,400. Okay. So, we're going to put 186,000 just to be easy. Okay. All right. Um, in Reuben. Numbers 2.16, Reuben was 151,450. 51, right? Yes. Okay. Zero, zero, zero. And in Numbers 2.24, the tribes of Ephraim numbered 108,100. Right. How much? 108,000. We're going to do that. <laughs> and then Dan? And then Dan numbered 157,600. Zeros are easy to write backwards. Okay, thank you. 
Okay, so you have three degrees of holiness right here, here, and here. These people constantly had to go in this one door all the time. There's 186,000, which means that this extended a long distance this way. You kept sheep and cattle to the sides. On this side, you have 151,000, which didn't extend as much as this one. Are you getting it? And so then you have the 157,000, which extended that way in that particular regard, right? And then you have this one, which was just a little piece up here. It's a cross. Why is it a cross? One, because God knows what he's doing. And second, it's because this is actually the answer to you and I being able to be holy. Every time, every time these people took down their camp, they, Judah went first, uh, Reuben went second, Ephraim waited because now this has to go behind. So then it's Ephraim and then it's Dan. So everywhere they went in the wilderness, they were carrying the cross. They were carrying God's presence. They were carrying his holiness everywhere they went, and they didn't even realize it. When they sat back up and someone like Balaam looked at them from on a mountain, he could see a cross, even though Balaam didn't know what a cross was yet. He could see this formation. He could see that here's the holiness of God and here is the answer for the sins and the desperation and the crumminess of mankind. He could see it. It was a cross. They carried a cross everywhere they went. And so Jesus says, if you are my disciples, take up your cross and follow me. Do you think he was referencing something else he wrote in scripture? Yes, because when you're in a wilderness and when you're in this life, it is the cross that gets you through it. It is the presence of God in your life that gets you through it. It is only through this that we can approach a holy throne of God. So God created a system that was a picture long before he sent his son into the world so that we could actually have God live inside of us. We are now the temples of God. That means within my soul and in my heart, there's an area where the Holy Spirit is and there's a holy of holies. That's pretty intense, isn't it? I can't touch it. I tried. Not really. I can't touch it, right? But it is inside of me. So a couple of things. Of course, there's a couple of things. Here's this verse right here. Hebrews 10.10 says, and by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. This is very important. So go back to my son analogy. If you were part of the son's makeup, would you disintegrate if you got close to it? The answer is no. If you're part of what the son actually is, you can actually go as close to it as you want to, want to go and as far away from it as you want to go. Jesus, through the sacrifice of his son on the cross, paid 
for your sins so that you could be declared holy, so that you could approach God's throne, so that you could be in the presence of his holiness. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? You can boldly walk into the throne of God now at any moment because of Jesus who has taken care of your sins. He is the answer to your problem of unholiness. He is. So you can walk right into it. Next, 2 Corinthians 7.1 says, Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. I want you to notice that that verse does not say, make yourself holy. It tells you to cleanse yourself from all defilement. I'll illustrate it this way, which is kind of gross, okay? Just preparing you for it. Back when I first came to this church, it was about two years into it, there was a, there was a guy that came here and um, he wanted to go to lunch. So we went, we went to the, um, I forget what it's called now. It's right outside of Walmart. It's a gas station where trucks go. What is that called? Pilot? It's a truck stop. What is it called now? Okay, I'm hearing a different word than you're actually saying. Say that again. Horns. H-O-R-N. What's a, what a great name for a truck stop. Okay, horns. Truck stop. Beep. Okay, so we went, and there was a Jimmy, a Jimmy's uh, sandwich place there. I don't know if it's still there. I haven't been back. Okay? We walked into the Jimmy John's little uh, sandwich place, and and. The friend I was with, he actually knew the guy that was making the sandwiches. So this guy came, you know, he came up to him and they had a conversation. And um, he turned around to go back to finish somebody else's sandwich. And when he did, his hands went, and then he, and it was, it was just, I was, I was just done. And I had prayed before I went in there that I will eat this because I hate eating at truck stops because I'm just that person but I'll do this for this guy. And I just turned to him and said, we've got to go somewhere else. We just got to go somewhere else. His hands are just, you get it, right? Okay. Here's the way it is for believers. See, before salvation, you were dirty through and through. At the point that you received the Lord Jesus Christ as your savior, inside of you became a holy place, cleansed from all unrighteousness, all unrighteousness, And living inside of you in a place within your very soul is a brand new life and a holy life and something that has been set apart. The Bible says that you have been sanctified, past tense. You have been set apart. You've been made holy through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a position that you have. This means that I am holy at any given moment in my life all the time because I've been declared so because of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The difference is my holiness, I can actually go down and fix sandwiches when I shouldn't be fixing sandwiches. Are you tracking? Fixing sandwiches when I should have washed my hands before I touched the sandwich. Because now holiness is flowing through me. It's not something that God is giving to me this way. It's actually flowing through me. And the thing that stops it is when I touch something and defile my hands. 
and I sin. Is everybody tracking? When Jesus says that you have the victory to conquer sin, what he is saying is within you is something greater than the defilement that's outside of you. You can make a choice to live a holy life and allow that holy life to flow through you at any given moment. You do it by submitting to the Holy Spirit. You do it by living by the word of God and letting that go through your mind and actually living it out in your life. You have the capability to live the holiness of God every day of your life. You just have to choose to do it. You have to choose not to get your hands dirty. You have to choose not to get your mouth dirty. You have to choose not to allow your mind to get dirty. What does scripture say? Scripture says, renew my mind, right? And how do you renew your mind? It's the Lord Jesus Christ welling up within you, molding your life to something different. Does scripture not also say that you're being conformed into the image of God? That is from the inside out. You've got Jesus inside of you and holiness coming out. Everybody tracking? So you have the capability of making the right choices at any given moment in your life. You just have to be man enough and woman enough to do it. You have to be man enough and woman enough to lean on Jesus, lean on the Holy Spirit, and make a decision, I'm going to live in holiness because Jesus Christ paid the ultimate price so that I could live that way. Amazing, isn't it? Absolutely amazing. So turning your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter one, check this out, verse 14 through 15. It says this. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. It seems from that verse that the passions of your former ignorance is something that you've made a break with in your life, right? It's something that you've, you've said, I want Jesus rather than those former things. And it says here, do not be conformed, do not go back to, do not mess with the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Now, we are either going to have to agree that Peter was off his rocker and there's no way for us to be holy and he is wrong, or we are going to have to say that this verse of Scripture is something that we can actually live in our lives. And I would submit to you this morning, this is a verse of Scripture that you can live out in your life. And it's because of the holiness that God has placed within you. It is your opportunity to shine that holiness to the world. 
because it's a testimony of this right here and the impact that it would have on someone's life. Holiness. Holiness. So I'm going to end with this. Okay? Um, This is a circle, right? Here's another circle, and this is way too big, but it's just going to be not um, size appropriate. This is where the North Star is. S, S. Okay? It's where the North Star is. This is what you would refer to as the Big Dipper, although it's going to look like it's the same size as a Little Dipper right now. Nicole, you're right. I should have practiced this before I came. Okay. Okay. Here's the dipper, boom, 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 and then it turns like this, okay? Now, this is not exactly what you see in the sky at night, but this is what you see in the sky at night. The North Star rises, and, and everybody seems, even today, draws a line between this North Star and this star right here. The way the Jewish people looked at this was not a big dipper, a small dipper, or whatever. They looked at it as a sheepfold. So this was the back of the sheepfold, and this was a wall, and this right here is actually a door. This door is open to let the sheep come in at night, and this door closes. So when... Um, David, for instance, looked up in the stars and, and he saw what everybody commonly knew, knew as the sheepfold. He said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He may me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. You tracking? And at night, the shepherd always led the sheep back into the fold for safety and slept at the door. Jesus Christ said, I am the door <laughs> of the sheep. I lay down my life for the sheep. I lay my, down my life because that's the only way that they can be holy. That's the only way that they can be safe. And so he leads the sheep into the fold. And when Jesus says for us to leave the fold, we leave the fold and we follow him, not someone else. We follow Jesus Christ out of the fold. If you want to know how to live holy, you follow Jesus and when he has you in here, you stay in here. And when you go out, you follow him and no one else. And when he takes you back in, you go back in. Yesterday, I was tempted. Pretty, pretty hard. Pretty hard temptation. Very hard temptation. This concept kept going through my mind. I kept saying, Philip, you're in the fold. Jesus is blocking the door. Don't force your way out. Jesus is helping me remain holy. I do not need to be a sheep that goes here and then the shepherd has to come find me. Right? 
I don't need to be the sheep that goes astray. I do not have to go astray. All I have to do is stay in the fold and follow Jesus where he leads. And then at nighttime, when it's time for protection, follow him back, listen to his voice, and stay in the protection that he has given me through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Through the protection of these walls from the outside defilement of the world. You can do that. It is not, I'm a Christian and I have no protection. It's, I'm a Christian, a part of the flock of God, and I have all the protection I need to not sin, to not go the way that I'm not supposed to go. Is everybody tracking? There's absolutely no excuse, no excuse for us not to live the way that Jesus wants us to live. But we still like to jump the fence. We still like to run away. We still make Jesus come after us and bring us back. And praise God for that grace and mercy. But I'm here to tell you this morning, you do not have to live a life like that. You can live a life of holiness in your life and follow Jesus to the best of your ability and stay in his fold and be a good witness for him. And I challenge you this morning to do that. I challenge you this morning to leave here with the focus of staying in the fold, recognizing the price he paid for his holiness, and that you will be Christians that live that out in our society, in life, to everybody that you come into contact with, to everybody that you touch. If holiness is indeed life, which it is, that means when you live this way, everybody you touch, you give life to. Every situation you touch, you give life to. And it's not your life you're giving out. It's God's. I need to be careful when I say this. But it doesn't really matter to me who's president. It doesn't really matter to me who's in Congress and what they are doing. Because at the end of the day, none of those factors can solve the problems that we have in our culture. None of those issues, none of those social issues, none of the jargon that we hear all the time on TV will make our society better. But what will make our society better is a group of Christians dedicated to live holy lives and touching other people with that life, the life of Jesus Christ. That is the only answer to the world's problems. It's the only way the culture is going to change and you need to make a commitment to live that way. Amen? You carry the cross everywhere you go and you follow Jesus. Let's pray.